What is going on, Crypto Family? So today, you get to join us for a very insightful and personal conversation with Richard Yang. He is the co-founder of Coco's BCX. You know, we were told that they have over 1.3 million developers worldwide, are the number one engine for instant games, and the number one open source game engine. So very impressive stuff. And in this chat, we actually discuss, you know, blockchain and gaming quite a bit. You know, what problems they plan to solve is what they've already solved. In addition, we speak about the political climate there in China, some of his hidden talents, you know, what's important to him and a bunch more. So I had a great time hearing from Richard. I hope you do as well. So without further rambling, let's go check out the interview and I'll catch you on the other side. What is going on, Crypto Family? So today we've got Richard Yang, the co-founder of Coco's BCX with us. So thanks a bunch for coming on. I really appreciate you. And you know, we've heard a lot about uh, you know blockchain gaming and all the cool stuff that's to come. And so it's going to be really exciting to kind of pick your brain and see where Coco's is at. So thanks for making time for us. Appreciate you. Well, thank you very much. Awesome, man. So what part of the world are you in right now? Well, so right now I'm in Beijing, China. So it's right now the night of Asia. The night? What time is it there? Uh, it's 11. 11 p.m. All right. Well, it's 8 a.m. here, 11 p.m. there. All right, cool. That's a diehard right there for you. Appreciate you. So awesome, man. So tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, your background. Where are you from? You know, obviously you're in Shanghai now. Have you been there the whole time? Or you said Shanghai or Beijing? Beijing. 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 Sorry. Yeah. One of these days I'll get to China and I'll figure it all out. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so where, where are you originally from? Yeah, I'm born and raised in Beijing and uh, spent a fair amount of time in St. Louis, Missouri and California. So we share some of the common time together. St. And, Louis? Uh, what brought you yeah. to St. Louis of all places, man? Uh, there is a really nice college there. So I spent four amazing years there. And uh, yeah, so I came back to China right after my college graduation. Uh, worked 15 years in investment and technology. Um, so um, together with my team partner, uh, Hao Chen, we started this project, Coco's Blockchain Expedition, uh, a year and a half ago. Wow, impressive, man. So you went to school in St. Louis, and you said you spent some time in California. What were you doing in California? Working there or more college? Yeah, I was traveling, I was traveling back and forth uh, uh, between San Francisco, Beijing, San Francisco, Shanghai, L.A. So I would call maybe St. Louis my second home and California my third. Wow. What, what were you doing in California? Were you working or school or what? Yes, I work in uh, technology investment. Many things going on in California, absolutely. Silicon Valley and also Beijing. Those are really hot spaces for startups. Gotcha. So, so prior to Coco's, what, um, you know, what's some of the roles that you had in other companies and other companies you worked with and worked for and all that kind of cool stuff? Well, I was a co-founder of uh, this company called 6.cn. is one of the earliest video live streaming platform in China. So we kind of started this industry and later on, uh, there are followers who are doing that better, uh, such as YY and um, even like Twitch in the United States. Uh, so I spent uh, six, seven years there and sold our company to a listed company. I also did uh, about seven, eight years of technology investment where I traveled in between the States and China. Nice, man. So being there in China right now, how's, you know, what's kind of like the climate there like, you know, with, uh, with the U.S., you know, being in the U.S., you hear about all this stuff on the news, you hear about people in, you know, in China, like maybe dumping their dollar and, and, you know, going back to Chinese currency. And I'm like, that kind of doesn't make sense to me, but uh, what's, what's kind of the, the, the climate there in China towards the U.S.? Well, maybe I can speak for the general Chinese people. Um, we love U.S. as always. So many people, especially who got uh, education or working experience uh, internationally, they do have a lot of friends. So I don't really see this tension in this um, from from the people around. Well, between governments, maybe it's a different story. But uh, yeah, I guess. 
we're getting better. I mean, awesome. Yeah. I always say, just let the government leaders get in the ring and let them fight. Cause it seems like all the, the people, you know, they they all seem to like each other, right? You know, I've got audience all over China, India, all these different countries. We get along great, but it's like the leaders of our countries that don't seem to. So I say, let them get in the ring and, and fight it out. Right. <laughs> so, uh, well, there is no boundary um, uh, in terms of friendship, just like crypto, right? Exactly. Yeah. Decentralized and global. Cool, man. So what, what actually got you into like blockchain gaming? What made you decide to kind of make that, you know, that switch, that leap from, you know, live stream to, you know, Hey, let's, let's do gaming on blockchain. A few years ago, I visited the repo office in San Francisco. When I walked out of that office, I thought, Whoa, that was some cool things those guys were doing there, but I didn't understand at all. So, um, all the way until two years ago, um, so many people were doing crypto investments. But uh, my partner, Hauji, again, uh, he is a veteran in mobile gaming uh, industry. He founded this company called Chukong Technologies, one of the largest independent publisher in China. They work with all the global uh, game developers for many years. So he came to me and said, hey, what do you think about this uh, blockchain and gaming thing? Since I'm always in economy, so I think the decentralized economy makes a lot of sense. So I think, oh, wow, maybe in the gaming space, where all the uh, experiences are digital and virtual. Things are created, traded, and even disposed totally online. So that's a perfect uh, kind of a use case for blockchain economy. So that's how we started to plan this project together. Gotcha. What is some of like the, the struggles that you've seen so far with, you know, just, you know, blockchain and gaming? Because with like centralized gaming, you know, it doesn't, there's no cost per transactions, right? You know, it just is what it is. You want to play a game, you play a game, you want to buy something, you buy it. But with, with blockchain, you know, you've got kind of these transaction fees, right? So what's, mm-hmm. what's some of the, the struggles that you guys have seen in just trying to make the switch from a centralized solution like we see in traditional video games to going to blockchain? Well, I think most of people would talk about the, the intermediary issue. But as a matter of fact, we don't see that as a issue. For example, if any community member who holds the token promoting the game, they are intermediaries themselves. Uh, we think maybe today, a lot of people, they try to learn at the same time, overcomplicate things. For example, we think uh, the combination of blockchain and gaming are mostly focusing on gaming economy, which is to a certain type or to certain types of games, uh, they're naturally really good for blockchain or decentralized like paradigm. Uh, for example, uh, the games with very long uh, experiences. Uh, usually in the economy, when we talk about the difference between a service and an asset is how long it, the experience would last. If it lasts very long, it's an asset just like a house, but house eventually just got demolished, right? So um, we think those uh, games with, for example, very lasting underlying stories that people can carry on their value or um, their narratives, or those, uh, for example, card games, just like Magic the Gathering, the way they play it can last for a long time. Those are naturally really fit for uh, blockchain uh, mechanisms. So if you look at the mobile game or the digital game uh, market in the world, it's a 130 billion US dollars market per year. We believe there must be at least 20 to 30 percent of the game genres that are really fit to what we call blockchain gaming. So instead of stressing on running those algorithms on on chain or making the fastest chain to sponsor those games, uh, we, we think it is critical to build this learning curve for everyone. Because today, the game developers and blockchain developers are not merging. 
we see game developers kind of look down upon blockchains because they see the fluctuation of crypto prices. At the same time, blockchain developers, they are really not the same type of developers to game developers because gaming is sort of like a creative thing. It's like making a movie. It's not really about like deep tech. So um, I think it takes time and people like us try to make things very convenient, try to share the information and tell them, okay, let's start with the very basic. Don't get it too complicated or complex. So after a while, people would uh, start to know that and the players start to know, okay, I don't need to really know uh, if this game is a blockchain game or not. All I know is that what I obtained and possess from the game really values something. And I actually paid my time, my data, privacy, and also money for that. So that's the purpose of, of this project. Yeah, it's incredible how much money is actually in gaming. You know, looking at, you know, just different reports, it's anywhere from like 100 to $150 billion for, you know, for video games. And then when I looked, you know, it's like, like 50, 50 billion or something like that for movies. But then out of that 100 to 150 billion for, for video games, like 60% of that is like the digital assets, like the skins, you know, these, these things that you're talking about, being able to, you know, buy something and hold it and keep it. And it'd be awesome if you could start transferring it between different games and things like that. So is that one of the things that Coco's is trying to do is kind of create this, this total gaming ecosystem to where not only, you know, makes it easy for the developers to build on, but also for the users to be able to take the digital assets from one game to another game. Yes. We actually provided what we call the full stack to make it simple. It's like all the key components to make a game and uh, make the game economy flow. For example, we have this, uh, DPoS-based uh, blockchain, uh, which we think would best fit for the first stage development of, mo of blockchain games. And also we have our own token standard, which is we make those virtual items more complex so it can better facilitate uh, the, the game economy. And also we have, uh, for example, developer environment for developers to easily uh, sort of like to transform their existing game to blockchain game or they can develop new blockchain games. So everything just to build the, the learning curve. That's our, our objective for the first stage. Gotcha. And then with Coco's chain, so this this here, I mean, when you look at centralized gaming, you know, a portion of the game may be on your Xbox, a portion of it may be in the cloud, but, you know, it's got, you know, pretty fast transactions per second, right? So with the Coco's chain, how much of the game is going to be on the chain itself and how much of it's just going to be, you know, like stored on a server, you know, so that way you kind of keep that gameplay up for people, you know, that speed that they're used to. Well, we think there are four stages for, um, let's say, decentralize the gaming. The, the first stage would be those tokens or scores or grades or coins um, recorded or settled on any blockchain. Uh, the second stage would be um, many of our peers are doing, which is those tokens, either fungible or non-fungible, our items um, are circulating inside of an application or game, and they can circulate that out to some other applications. Well, the third stage would be the critical algorithm on chain. So algorithm is quite important because in economy, we know anything is valuable because number one, they have limited supply. Number two, their title can be recorded and validated. So right now on the distributed ledgers, people are talking about title and ownership. But as a matter of fact, if we think some virtual item is valuable, we need to limit their supply, which is we kind of validate 
the process or uh, we kind of validate the mechanism they are generated. We are right now working on the third stage right now. And the fourth stage would be really, really far away. Uh, it's like a whole game or a whole application on chain. Uh, I think that's arguably uh, the future because uh, we don't consider it's necessary uh, for many of those like uh, type of type of applications. Gotcha. And so just to kind of like wrap it up in a nutshell for people, what, what exactly is live right now with Cocos that people could actually go and start using? Well, right now we do have like four sample games and uh, those games are on our terminal, which is like terminal.cocosvcx.com.io. Sorry. Um, and um, those uh, four games are mostly for the sample of developers, how to use our, for example, token standard or how to use random numbers, for example. Uh, but we're going to release a lot more games um, in the next three to six months. Gotcha. And then for developers, what's available for them right now that they can start, you know, like, I guess, utilizing? We have open source that many of our components uh, already on GitHub. Uh, so they can use the whole ecosystem components like the wallet, the blockchain. We have a test night released two months ago. It's called Gangjin Boche. Uh, named after this uh, holy mountain in Tibet. And also we have a uh, official IDE and also third-party IDE. We have already having um, developers to develop third-party uh, applications on our chain already. Awesome, man. So a lot of stuff people can start playing with today. Very cool. So, you know, this journey you said has been going for about a year and a half for you right now, right? So what's some of like the, the biggest, you know, struggles and successes you guys have had so far? Because in every, in every story, you know, there's, you know, successes and then there's struggles, right? So everybody only sees uh, the successes, you know, like, hey, I got my, you know, my, my coin listed on these exchanges, you know, we've done X, Y, and Z, but there's usually a lot of stuff that happens along the way that, uh, you know, kind of hurts, right? So what's, what's some of the struggles you guys have had over the past year and a half? Well, I think it took us a while to really believe uh, or have like full faith on what we did. Because in the, in the early stage, which was like two years ago, um, I think the theme of the industry was still like trading or gambling. Well, gambling is one of the categories of the games that uh, we think is perfectly reasonable, but we think there is a broader spectrum of the options for the players. Also, this incorporation of uh, blockchain and also gaming um, really made us like think what would be the best angle to do uh, that. I think today, uh, one of our ongoing struggles still is that uh, we try to bring the game developers and blockchain developers together. Since their skill set are so different and their mindset are somehow different, so we're going to host a lot of events or tutorials or of together with a lot of partners, of course, uh, to really like move this whole industry forward. I think that's the struggles we're having. And uh, we're trying to implement a couple of ways to speed it up. But uh, so far, we don't see any uh, immediate breakthrough yet. Yeah, no, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's, there's only so many developers and then the developers that are out there trying to, you know, match them up perfectly with what you're doing is definitely a struggle for sure. So what about you personally, man? What's, um, you know, who's some of the people that have kind of helped, you know, shape your life, right? So you're a successful guy. Have you had any mentors along the way, people you kind of look up to and, you know, kind of like, you know, steered you in the right path? Oh, wow. I mean, like, I think one of uh, the only men I can call an idol is Michael Jordan, definitely. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> tongue, so tongue in or tongue out. <laughs> yeah, so if you any like difficulty, I just like um, probably watched the Chicago Bulls back in 1997. So that's uh, various um, uplifting. 
And uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoy reading and traveling. I mean, like California is always awesome place to be. And uh, every time I go to uh, Cliff House or anywhere around, I feel so relaxed. Yeah. Nice, nice man. What's a, what's a book that you read? You know, something maybe when you were growing up that, you know, you thought was really important and still think is important. And you think other people, you know, should maybe read it because maybe they'll find it important. Well, I think in terms of reading, I'm a really tough reader. Actually, I read a lot of stuff. Uh, for example, those philosophy stuff. But uh, the two books I've been like, it's always in my mind. One is called The True Believer, which I really recommend people uh, doing cryptos to read it. It talks about the whole life cycle of a massive movement. True Believer. True Believer. It's a very small book, but uh, written by this um, American uh, sociologist back in the 1955. So uh, if, if we refer to that time, it's totally, we can totally see why people are following cryptos. Um, and we are, we are doing a financial movement here um, because of many reasons. And another book is more personal. It's called The Art of Loving. Uh, it is not about really like, for example, women and men or like romantic relationships. It talks about the relationship between one person and the universe and the whole world and the people around you, and especially uh, with herself or himself. So that's a very inspirational book, especially for, um, I would say, Asian or Chinese, um, uh, whose traditional education is more... Uh, it, it doesn't encourage much self-awareness and individualism. So I think that's one of the books I would highly recommend. Awesome. Well. Kind of like we are all connected, right? So very cool. And then uh, do you have any hidden talents or skills, you know, maybe something you picked up along the way or, you know, your friends and coworkers don't know about uh, maybe something you work on, maybe you, you know, train seals to, you know, to speak or <laughs> maybe skydive <laughs> off, you know, sky rises or <laughs> anything like that. I'm actually a, um, I wouldn't say semi-professional, but yeah, I do practice like fighting, for example, like mixed martial arts. Excellent. So, um, yeah, I think uh, from that, I get a lot of um, also philosophies in terms of running business. Sometimes you need to speed up, sometimes it takes time. And uh, eventually it's more about physical. It's, it's about spiritual. Yes. Gotcha. So who's your favorite MMA fighter right now? Oh, well, um, MMA, well, uh, definitely uh, Connor for sure, uh, for his personality. And there are some very like, uh, there are some Chinese fighters that are quite a characteristic as well. Yeah, but uh, I, I watch different types of fighting and also, um, again, Chicago Bulls. Um, and sometimes I, I, I do watch baseball, but I'm, I'm a really terrible player. No worries. We can't all be Michael Jordan, right? So awesome, man. And then uh, what's, uh, you know, there's a fun question I like to ask people sometimes is, you know, what's one of your biggest successes in life and one of your biggest failures in life so far to date? Well, let's go with a failure. I mean, um, failure. Wow. Well, as a matter of fact, um, I, I actually look back um, every once in a while, probably every week or like every, every two weeks. Um, I always feel very, um, satisfied and also um, grateful to what I had. Um, I don't think I did. Well, maybe I should have stayed more in St. Louis, maybe. Uh, that's a very peaceful place to live. 
again, like for biggest success is, is, is the same thing. I mean, like every day I wake up uh, really fulfilled. I think uh, that's probably the biggest happiness I can ever imagine because um, uh, my personal experience, I, I, I had the time where, for example, we monetized our business like you did before. And um, that was financial reward. And also I had a lot of friends surrounding, but um, I think nothing compares to the feeling that, yeah, I, I, I live an everyday happy and uh, feeling appreciating to the people around me. Yeah, that's it's one of the secrets to life, man, is being able to look at yourself in the mirror and you know, like what you see and just kind of, uh, you know, enjoy your life, right? So Yeah, simple happiness. Yeah. But uh, so why, why was leaving uh, St. Louis a failure, man? You have to, you have to grow, right? You have to, you can't just stay there unless, I mean, I guess you could only Branson, Missouri. I hear it's, you know, popping, but. Uh, Trust me, St. Louis, I think is one of the most culturally diversified cities in, in, in the States. Well, at least the amount of cities I've ever been because it's a, it's a, it's a city of history. Olympics and uh, used to be the transportation center in Central America, right? So, um, yeah, I think uh, that's a that's a place that combines like really good a- academies, uh, awesome industrials, and uh, quite nice landscape. I mean, like it's it's an experience that it I didn't I could never get in San Francisco or New York. It's very American to me as a Chinese. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Well, it's still there, so you can always go back, right? So that's awesome. But, uh, and then last question for you, man. So if you had a time machine and you could go forward in time or you could go back in time as far as you want in either direction, but you had to stay there, when would it be and why? I probably would go back to the, uh, to my travel uh, back in 2012 in Ukraine in this small village. That was a amazing experience in terms of uh, when we went to, we were on a business trip to that village that was like middle of nowhere. And uh, every building there was in Soviet style back in the 1950s. It's just like rolling me back into a old Soviet movie. So when I was standing in the town, I started to think about my life. So is being busy or being uh, any kind of successful would be the goal to life. Or should I help other people to do my best to probably make the world better if we want to sound big, right? Um, so I made a decision, which is um, I, I quit investment industry <laughs> after that trip and uh, start to follow my heart and uh, try to help other people. We call that charity or, or we, we call that philanthropology, but uh, that's the spot or like well, actually, the the time and the place that I want to stay forever, if if yeah. <laughs> putting me into some vacuum like outer space, yeah, I, I want that moment to be frozen. Pretty incredible. So you go you go back to where it all began your your journey from I guess investing to philanthropy. It's awesome, man. Very cool. Well, you know, it's been awesome hearing your story and hearing about the stuff that you guys are doing there at Coco's. And I know you have some big news coming, so I'm not going to wreck that for people. They'll be reading about it. I'm sure you're pretty soon. So keep up all the great work. Make sure that you keep us, you know, posted on all the upcoming successes and, you know, breakthroughs that you guys have and feel free to come back anytime, man. It's great to, great to meet you. Great to meet you too. Thank you so much, Robert. Anytime, my friend. God bless. 
Hey, welcome back everybody. Huge thanks to Richard, man. I really appreciate you coming on the show and telling us about all the cool stuff that you've done and that you're doing there at Coco's BCX. Just a friendly reminder, Crypto Beatles shows are never financial advice, recommendations, or trading strategies. The views expressed here are solely that of Robert Beatles and his guests. Robert Beatles is a co-founder of the Monarch Wallet host of Trading View Sessions, Crypto Beatles on YouTube, and on several entities. Robert's opinions here do not reflect that of those entities. Some information shared here may not actually be factual. These shows are for information and entertainment purposes only. Never invest a single Satoshi or penny in anything without first seeking the counsel and advice of a professional financial advisor. Robert Beatles is not a financial expert or advisor. Investing in anything is super dangerous. You can lose all of your money, so always trade at your own risk. Please help us grow the family. Give us a comment and review. It's super quick and easy. Just scroll down, click the little stars, comment, and just help us grow the family. All right. God bless you. Love you. Till the next one. Talk to you soon.